Hello, and welcome to the Upper Bowl GM podcast. My name is Nick Zarars, and I have a very special guest today, someone I've known through mutual circles on Twitter for quite a while. We're going to be unpacking a little bit about the state of sports gambling in the United States. Mobile sports betting is going to be legalized as part of the budget reconciliation process for 2021 in New York State as a means of New York trying to make up some of the tax revenues it lost because of the pandemic. Amongst other reasons, there's probably other underlying reasons as to why it's finally getting legalized now. But today's guest is going to help unpack the situation a little bit for you guys who aren't as familiar with the gambling world. And we're going to talk about some of the dangers of this, not just from a straight up gambling perspective, but some of the characters and some of the actors who are going to take advantage of this situation. And it's going to lead to some unfortunate situations. I know from a number of people I've talked to who are in this sphere are a little bit concerned about what's going on already through a lot of it stems from social media and the way influencers and celebrities are being used by sports books as a means of getting people a little bit more involved. They're taking interest in sports betting from an entertainment perspective instead of a gambling perspective. And that's what a lot of this discussion is going to come down to today. So, but before I get to the conversation with my very special guest, I do have to remind everyone to help grow the show. We are growing. It is very nice to see every new subscriber, every new review helps. Anytime, anytime you feel like you, you, you're getting something out of the show, that's my goal here. Today, this is a topical subject that is in the news. I want to talk about sports betting because it's something that's pertinent and it's new and it's important. The more people who subscribe, the easier it is to follow the show. And the more people we get to make smarter, it'd be very nice. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, you're going to go to the show page. You're going to scroll down to the bottom. There's going to be five clear stars there. Hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. If you have an extra minute, beneath that is a button that says write a review. If you're inclined, and I would appreciate it, hit that little write a review button. Leave a few thoughts about whatever episode you listen to or just some general ideas about the show you had as the audience so if you're not on apple Podcasts, though if you're using spotify soundcloud google play stitcher radio audio boom any other podcasting platform just tap that little follow button it'd be really nice i would really really appreciate it with all of that said i will see you guys on the other side of the drop McDonough back across St. Louis to Richards, wide open, scores! What a play! What a finish! And with that, welcome on my gambling expert connoisseur for the next 40 minutes to an hour or so, Mr. Matt Albert. How are you doing, Matt? Doing good. Uh, how are you doing, Nick? I'm pretty good. The Rangers are up. Uh, playing something resembling NHL hockey, uh, the Knicks are a basketball team again. I can't really complain. I really can't. Nah, Rangers have come a long way from the days of John Gilmore and all those other guys they were trotting out a couple years ago. So nice to see. Probably not going to make it in quite this year, but nah, a lot to look, uh, lot to look forward to in the future. Definitely, definitely. You are here, of course, to talk a little bit about the wider spread legalization of sports betting in the United States. I know it was last week or the week before New York state's pretty much going to get mobile sports betting at some point this year as part of that budgetary process. New York's trying to make up a pretty big financial deficit and mobilizing sports betting is one of the ways they're looking to make that up. So we're going to unpack the gambling landscape is how I, I described this episode. So the first thing I wanted to talk to you about before we get into that part of it is What's your relationship been with sports in your life? Because that's the foundation of what this podcast is about, is the way people interact with sports from the non-professional side of sports. Yeah, so I think my intro to sports was a lot like many others kind of growing up. I mean, you're playing different sports with your friends. Um, Obviously, you take a lot from your parents and your family. Um, My dad actually got me really into sports. Uh, He's been a Ranger fan since he was young. Uh, My grandfather was actually the big Ranger fan. Um, He had season tickets at the garden since the early 70s um so i kind of grew up even though i wasn't in or just outside of new york i kind of grew up going to the garden um so that definitely kind of got me into hockey 
and then everything else just kind of comes from grow up with your friends. Um, I mean, obviously you play sports and everything, but yeah, definitely interesting kind of growing up in the middle of Boston sports territory as a New York fan. Um, that definitely kind of made for an interesting childhood as they were growing up winning one championship every seven and a half seconds, but hopefully that turns around sooner rather than later. God willing, God willing. What's your earliest sports memory in terms of watching sports? Honestly, the first thing I remember vividly, and I actually had this conversation with somebody the other day. So I remember bits and pieces of probably the very late 90s, but the very first thing I actually remember was the Yankees and the World Series against the Marlins in 2003. So I would have been 11, which is probably a little on the older side to have like a vivid memory. Um, mm. But I remember watching that last game when Josh Beckett, whatever he was, threw a four-hit shutout or something. Um, but that would have been like my, my first legit memory. But I remember pieces of even watching like the Subway Series with my dad. I remember the ALCS um, in 03. But that, that's probably like my first vivid memory is like the end of baseball season in 2003. And definitely a series against the Red Sox that was probably the greatest series ever outside of 04. Definitely, definitely. When did you know that sports were going to be like your thing? Like there are book people, there are theater people, there are art people. When did you know you were a sports person? So if it wasn't before I started high school, it was very soon into high school that I knew like I was going to be around sports for a long time. Um, I have two younger brothers and my parents always tell me like they never really knew what they wanted to do. Like I knew what I wanted to do. Like I didn't know exactly kind of where I would go necessarily, but I wanted to be in and around sports since I was 13, if not 14. How is being involved in the sports betting industry changed your relationship with sports, how you think about them, how you interact with them? Yeah, it, it does change it a little bit. And it's weird because like the first time you start making bets and everything, it's like, oh, like I'm going to go bet on the Rangers tonight. Like I'm going to go bet on the Yankees tonight. And after a while, it's like, all right, you get tired of losing money betting on the Rangers and watching them lose again and again. So at least for me, it kind of happened pretty quick that you need to learn to be able to separate bets you make from rooting as a fan, or you're just going to make yourself miserable. Um, and that's probably like one of the hardest things to learn how to do is mm. to just be able to separate like rooting for the Rangers tomorrow night when they play the Islanders versus like, Oh, am I actually going to have bet on this game? Um, but no, I mean, that, it's definitely tough being able to separate those two, but it, it's something you really need to be able to do. Oh, absolutely. I get into this discussion with my friends all of the time where they're like, how come you're not betting on the Giants this week? Obviously, bad example. The Giants aren't very good, but it's on principle. I don't like to get financially involved in games involving my team because I don't want to be doubly as miserable. It's what I tell all of my friends. What, no matter what sport they're talking about, just don't bet on your own team because you're just going to make yourself twice as miserable. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. You got to be able to, like, at this point, I'm comfortable betting on the Rangers. I'm comfortable betting against the Rangers. No matter what, like, I'm sitting down and rooting for them to win the game. Um, exactly. So the people that probably wouldn't want to hear that from me. But, yeah, I, whether we bet on them <laughs> or not, like, I, I'm rooting for them to win every game. And it's just – it is a very tough aspect of first getting into it. Mm -hmm. um, or if you're just betting on your favorite team, I mean, that's obviously one way to go about it. But, yeah, you have to be very prepared, especially as a New York fan, for the fact that you're probably – going to be double upset when they lose and you lose money out of it so how did you get into sports betting because for me it was just being in high school and having like five dollars in my wallet and being like i know more about sports than you let me see if i can take advantage of you was it that kind of thing for you was it a general interest of sports and occasionally you throw a bet here and there and then you kind of got more professionalized into it what was your entry point on that end of things so my first memory of actually doing like any kind of betting with sports are NCAA tournament brackets. Mm -hmm. And probably at this point, probably like 15 years ago, like you'd make those at school with your friends. Yeah. You'd, you know what I mean? Like you just put in five bucks or something and yeah. see who makes the best one. You would just do it for fun even. Um, that's really kind of the first memory I have. And then even around the same time, like my dad would do these pools for college football every year when you get to bowl season. And he would always be like, all right, like I'll fund it. You make the picks and let's see how we do. 
And I remember one year I started nine and zero. I was like, oh, this is great. Like gambling is so easy. <laughs> Granted, I was like 14 at the time and I had no idea what I was talking about. But something like that you kind of do and you're like, oh, wow, this is really fun. Um, and then it kind of transitions a little bit. But I actually don't think I even placed my first bet until just before I was 22, I would say. Um, so obviously there's, there's a long way in between those, but no, it, it was definitely kind of like in middle school and stuff. You make all the brackets with your friends and whatever year Wichita state was really good and beat a bunch of teams. I remember having them pretty far that year. So that was kind of one of those, Oh, this is really fun. Like maybe this is something I want to keep doing. And it kind of evolved from there. I know for me, it's definitely become a way of making sports even more enjoyable like obviously i am a big sports guy i spend god knows how many hours either reading about them or just watching them on any given night i'm checking in on three or four different nhl games an nba game or two a baseball game or two just because there's too many things going on to keep track of everything in terms of engaging with an audience from um a, an industry side of things how do you think of approaching Get, pitching gambling to a general audience is it enhancing your broadcasting experience is it an entertainment thing where it's an added bonus to it how do you go about thinking it pitching it to a wider audience um so i think for God, probably 99 plus percent of people who get into gambling in any sort it's legitimately entertainment it's, yeah. it's basically saying, all right, I'm going to set aside this money and whether like you want to go to a bar, whether you want to go out to restaurants, whether no matter what you want to do, go play golf. Some people put that money aside and, um, and spend it gambling. And look, as long as everything's like done very responsibly and everything, there's no problem with it at all. I mean, my first experience with betting was in college in my apartment with one of my roommates making these 12 team baseball parlays for a dollar going yeah we'll hit one out of a thousand um and obviously we never did and um but no i mean that's kind of what it is right like you started off with a few of your buddies you're like yeah like i i can do this i know enough about sports like i can win doing this and obviously it's not that easy or everyone would do it but but no i mean look for for just about everyone who kind of does it it's purely recreational um and that's definitely kind of the way I think is best to pitch an audience is look like you're watching a game that makes the game a little more fun, having some money on your team. Um, but that that's definitely the way that it should be looked at for most people. Oh no, I absolutely agree with you. And it's one of the things that goes into the larger discussion about, I don't know if you want to call it ethical or responsible practices in this sphere, because there are going to be people who are going to take advantage of this new audience the more states it gets legalized in, the more people are going to be looking to make content, the more people are going to be looking to just get more people involved. I know that some books are opening physical locations in some states, even though a bulk of their stuff is going to be mobile, just as a way of getting people to a centralized location, getting you familiar with the brand, and making it an experience. You know, sweating out the final score of a, a baseball game. I mean, yeah, betting run lines in baseball isn't ideal, but sweating out a run line in a blowout, if you threw like 20 bucks on a live line, that's a good experience to have if you're with your friends. And yeah, the pandemic is kind of change the way people are doing that but making it into an experience like you said making it entertainment these are all ways of getting people more invested and I think that's part of why at least some of the leagues are taking it a little more seriously than others I know I'm pretty sure all four of the major leagues in the United States now have some affiliation with one company or another from a sports betting perspective and the leagues look at it as a way to a make more money obviously and b to get the audience more engaged with the product yeah, and look, I think it's pretty smart on the league's part. I mean, you've seen leagues like the NFL that have tried to avoid it for a long time and have said, we want no part of gambling. And even now, I think it was them that just yesterday signed a deal with FanDuel, or it was either FanDuel or DraftKings. Um, yeah. But yeah, look, that's exactly it. Like, they realize that it, it's going to make them more money, and there is a point where, you know what, they're just going to say, yeah, like, we want all the extra sponsorship dollars. Um yeah, they realize that people who are watching the NFL are betting the games. They're playing fantasy sports. They're playing daily fantasy. They're doing some form of gambling on the games. And I think that all the leagues have kind of come around and accepted that fact and kind of realized that they just need to roll into it or they're going to get left behind at this point. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it took the NFL forever. I mean, you know, the inside joke about the inside joke Al Michaels makes during Sunday night football during a blowout. We all know what he's talking about, but you know, I don't get it from the NFL's perspective because the NFL is probably the most bet on sport in the United States. I feel like that's a pretty fair assumption to make just based on. Yeah, easily. Yeah. So one of the things in this sphere I wanted to talk to you about was just where do where does the public have to be careful in terms of where they're getting information from the types of people who are giving out picks the types of people who are looking to make money off of other people trying to make money yeah i mean god that's such a long answer i mean the short answer to that is there are tons of them there are people trying to sell picks on the internet there are sports books posting videos of people making picks, which if they're giving you info to beat them, it's obviously there's a reason why. Um, there's just everybody's trying to stick their hand in the pot and mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form, grab some of that money from the sports betting industry that you said is yeah. just growing and it's becoming huge. And it's gotten to the point that sports betting content for the most part is completely terrible. Um, it, it, it's not getting better in recent months. In fact, it's getting a lot worse in many places. I mean, right now you can't sit down and watch a Ranger game without this guy popping up five minutes into the game on a commercial going, did you know you could still bet live, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it, it's going downhill and it's going downhill fast. And there's a bit of a disagreement on if it's going to keep going that way or if it's going to slowly get better. I tend to be an optimist and think it'll eventually kind of get better, but at some point, we need to see a little evidence to support the fact that it's actually going to start to get a little better and a little more actually informational um, than it currently is. I think that's maybe the biggest difference between the casual better who just bets during football season or casually, and then the people who are actively seeking out as much information as possible. They're reading, they're listening to podcasts, they're watching people's videos, trying as best they can to get an understanding. It's what I always tell everyone who wants to get into it to some degree. I've written for a few different sports betting websites. I've done a few episodes of this podcast during football season with picks and that kind of thing. I always encourage people get as much information as you possibly can before you make a bet. That I think is the most important thing that anyone associated with the sports betting industry can encourage the public to do from a responsibility ethical side of things. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think outside of just making sure you're staking your own bets appropriately and just making sure you don't overextend yourself. I mean, it's definitely, definitely it's definitely kind of important to realize that these people coming on your TV telling you to bet the Rangers tomorrow night are not necessarily the most knowledgeable people about the space. And as many times as Steve Valiquette's going to pick the first Ranger goal scorer, right? Like, I would not go out there and just start betting whoever he picks as the first goal scorer. Um but yeah, it, there's definitely a lot of information. And at this point, especially if you're a casual better, like it's very tough to kind of sift through and yeah. realize like who is worth it and who's not. And even in the last probably five years or so now for me, like I've had, I've gone through like a very large amount of different sources of content and different people and people that I thought have been good at the time who ended up being crap. And some people who have been good from the beginning and it's definitely tough to kind of read through that and it's a Mm -hmm. very tough thing especially for casual betters to kind of get through at this point because there's content everywhere and it's just become completely polluted um and that's kind of why i think a lot of us are hoping that eventually the content it's not going to become less but i think we're hoping it becomes a little more actually valuable um to, to betters yeah i know i remember a couple of weeks ago Someone had tweeted, I forget who it was, but some influencer had tweeted like they were on a heater in college basketball, like they picked six or seven games right in a row. And it was just a woman, you know, overly sexualizing herself on Instagram with college basketball picks. And I don't know if you had directly replied to someone tweeting about it, but I I know we're going for the lowest common denominator here just to get eyes on it. But, you know, would it kill someone to, you know, put some information into their picks? instead of just getting six chalk picks right at, you know, on a random February week, it's, it's very frustrating from a perspective of someone who enjoys betting, but doesn't want to see it 
doesn't want to see anyone get hurt basically is the main way i'm thinking about it yeah i mean look and a lot of these books are kind of getting into that now i could ranch on that for a while um <laughs> it it takes no effort skill anything on a marketing person at a sports books end to find some attractive girl and tell her to make a TikTok video of just mm -hmm. doing this. And we're seeing that more and more and more. And I'm not going to name specific sports books, but it's becoming a lot of the legal ones at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and what you're doing is at that point, it's just, it's encouraging degeneracy. And yep. those places know the exact people who are going to watch those videos and go, wow, she bet this. So I'm going to bet this too. Um, and look, it's not just women who are doing this stuff. Like there's a lot of guys who are doing stuff like that too. And it's just, okay. there's no... There's absolutely no value to any of it. And it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before that these people who are getting paid to put that stuff out and to put out these super degenerate bets and the people who are kind of telling you to bet these things without even talking about what price they are and things like that. It's just, it's encouraging people to make bad bets and it's just, there's no place for it. And it sucks to see that that's kind of what the content world has become right now. And hopefully it'll kind of eventually turn around a little bit. Yeah, no, I've had this discussion more than once about a lot of the books who have the promos where they're like, well, how come, how come they made the price of this parlay go from this to this? Well, they're in trying to encourage you to bet that. that that's why they're giving you the special on that. That's why they're giving you the four team Sunday football parlay with three favorites and one underdog who's a two point underdog. They're trying to get you to take these things that seem reasonably plausible and to overstake yourself by passing them off as specials or promotions. Yeah, I mean, without getting too far into it, all of those bets are still bad bets. Um, <laughs> the risk teams and the trading teams that come up with those and that make those at every book you're seeing. I mean, you're seeing it both in the legal books. You're seeing some offshore books kind of get into it at this point. They're not putting bets out there because they expect you to win money for the mm -hmm. most part. Occasionally, you'll see one that's like, oh, any team to score week one or for this season, I think it was like the Chiefs plus 99 or something like that yeah. for a game. That's legitimately just marketing spend. Um, yeah. There's nothing else behind that. But those other bets, like these places aren't putting out four team NFL parlays that's actually a good value to you because they know they're going to take a good amount of handle in it and they're not going to be exposed to that. So what they're doing essentially is removing some of the margin they have built in and then promoting it. And it's, it is confusing to a lot of people because a lot of people will see um, odds boost or boosted odds or whatever these different places are calling it and go, wow, like I, I'm getting a great bet. If I just bet all these, I'm going to make money. And that is simply not the case. Yeah. Yeah, no, those, the, there's a, like you said earlier, when you were talking about the people making the content, there, there's a reason the books are giving you that. They're, they're not in this to let the public, you know, make money hand over fist. They expect people to win occasionally, but long term, they expect the general public to lose. Yeah. And, and look, let me be very clear about the fact that most bettors are not going to win anyway. And yeah. I think a lot of people who are kind of getting more into gambling do understand that. Um, mm. But there's but there's definitely a big difference between like promoting stuff responsibly and kind of helping promote your product versus a lot of the kind of degenerate bets that are being promoted around right now. Um, a lot of the long shot parlays. I saw a commercial during, I was watching a devil's game the other night and I saw, I forget who the book was now, but there was basically like build a parlay so unique that nobody else would have thought of it. And you see the phone screen on um, the TV and it's basically creating like this 17 parlay. And it's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, is this really the best your marketing team can come up with for a commercial? Um, but again, it's just kind of showing the audience that these places are going for. And they are going for the very casual audience. Um, and they're just, they're going to suck them dry. And that's, that's probably where we're headed. No, I, I constantly, every time someone in my high school group chat puts a picture of a, they take a screenshot of a tweet of a ridiculous eight or nine leg parlay for like $20 to win like 10 grand. I constantly remind them the reason you are seeing that ticket is because a book, someone invested in a book or someone making odds wants you to think you can do that. Wholesale, there's a reason, you know, those pictures pop up once every couple of weeks they want you to think you can do it 
Yeah, I mean, let's be real. It, it's rather easy to tell that you have the people uh, in the media, like Darren Rovell, are writing these <laughs> books every so often going, hey, do you have something like this? Let me help push it. And like you said, like the books are happy to oblige that because you see a person bet $5 and win 400000 and you're like, oh, wow, this could be me. Not realizing that in that same time, people making similar bets have probably lost $4 million. Um, there's just there there is a very utter lack of transparency, um, kind of in the regulated industry right now, and that's something that we've seen a couple books um, start to be a little more transparent. But it's definitely something that it it helps everybody. Um, the more we kind of see that come to fruition. So I know you had tweeted this specifically word for word a couple of weeks ago, and I'm kind of agreeing with you now that legalizing sports betting has made it more dangerous, more toxic and like you had said uh, they're appealing to people who are going to overstake themselves get into a bad situation uncomfortable situation do you think there's obviously there's a complicated this is a complicated answer i don't expect you to have an entire one do you think there's a way we can make a legalized sports betting market better for the general public yeah i think there's a few different ways that it can happen. The one that I'm personally hoping for is I'm hoping that eventually one of these states, when they regulate it, and this is never going to happen, by the way, but the way to solve it is if one of these states that comes in, um, puts in like in their legislation, puts in a legislation that they can't limit any user to a lower stake than anyone else, um, mm -hmm. that you kind of have to have quote unquote house limits. But that's kind of one way to eventually solve this. Let's prey on the bad betters and that's, that's all that we're going to do. Um, that's probably the best way to go about it at this point. Um, there's definitely kind of other ways that things could be improved. Obviously, there's things like kind of help lower the house edge a little bit to kind of help some of these recreational betters out. I get that's not what books are in the business for, but you want to keep these customers coming back for a while and keep them forever. And if you bring them in on week one of NFL season and you suck them dry by December, well, guess what, you, you just lost them after whatever, three or four months. Um, so yeah, there's definitely kind of a lot that needs to happen around the industry, but it, it doesn't look like any of that's necessarily gonna come anytime soon. So could you explain a little bit about what you meant by the limits for in not having um, limits for each individual better, but having a universal limit because for the casual better, they might not be as familiar with that? Yeah, so essentially when you open a sportsbook account, you're basically set up with whatever their normal limits are. So say for an NFL game, you can get, and it's different times based on when you bet the week and all that, but just to keep it simple, let's say like you can bet $5,000 on an NFL game. Now it's, it's a lot more than 5,000, but let's just use that as a number, right? Well, mm -hmm. if you're someone who the sports book kind of identifies as, oh, wow, you're actually probably going to beat us over the long term, Well, you may see that go from 5,000 to 500 or lower. And a lot of cases, it's become very low. There's a lot of screenshots going around of places. And the worst two offenders of this are DraftKings and MGM um, and William Hill, sorry. But you'll see like, oh, like max bet reached, new stakes, $6.36. That's yep. essentially a sports book's way of saying, oh, you might actually beat us, take a hike. Um, and it, it it's completely non-transparent. And that's kind of what I was getting into before of, that sports books are just totally preying on these people who are going to lose their money. And they're basically saying, anyone who has a shot to beat us, take a hike, see ya. And it's definitely something that should not be allowed. And that's kind of what I was getting into before, that it'd be nice to actually see some sort of legislation about this. And it's definitely not every sports book that does this by any means. And the best example I have is Circus Sports out in Las Vegas. Um, and they're actually very open about not um, not limiting all their customers who are going to beat them. And it's nice to see, and I'm rooting for them to basically get everybody's money and <laughs> continue to expand out. But that it happens a lot. And I don't think most casual bettors really realize how much it, um, how much it actually happens. And I forget exactly who started it, but there was a thread um, on Twitter either last week or the week before that was basically an open-ended, like, have you ever been limited by a sportsbook question? And it was obviously very skewed by the fact of who wrote it. I forget who it was now offhand, 
Um, but I want to say the splits were like 60, 40 in favor of having, of not being limited. And it's just crazy to think that if you line up 10 people in a sports book, it's very likely that three or four of them can't bet as much as you. And, and it's so very different. And it's just, and I get that these places are in the business to make money. Like, I think everybody understands that, but at the same time, like there's, there's definitely a middle ground between taking a hundred thousand dollars on something from one person and the exact same bet, another person taking $7. Um, and it's just, it is one of the bigger problems in the betting industry right now that I know we're kind of hoping that a solution comes in place for and that kind of gets changed. Oh, yeah, definitely. I had one friend who went on a really nice run at the start of the NBA season with some of the micro props for rebounds, for first to score, that kind of thing. And within two yeah. weeks, they got limited to $25 bets when they had been betting five, $600 per prop bet. So it's definitely something that's very real. And Maybe people don't encourage that and encounter that wholesale because, you know, they're betting 50 bucks, 100 bucks. They're not really going up. They're not going above their means. They're gambling responsibly and they don't encounter that. But that that's tilting the table in one direction. It's discouraging people who I won't call them professional at it, but tilting the table towards people who have a bit of an advantage or go on a decent run, that kind of thing. So opening it up a little bit more, so big picture-wise, a little bit less topical, a little bit less current events, what would you say is the best general advice you can give someone who wants to pursue betting more than just the occasional bet every now and then? They want to take it seriously. They want to start, I don't want to call it, say pursuing it because, you know, very few people can bet professionally. Otherwise, they wouldn't be professionals. Yeah, Um I think, again, number one is definitely figure out how much like you can afford to bet, figure out your staking, figure out how much you're going to bet um, and stick to it. it. It's very cliche to talk about. And it's like, it, it's a very easy thing to understand. It, it is hard to stick to because you have one run where you go nine and one and all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, like I should go from betting $10 a game to $200 a game. Then all of a sudden you go oh and three and it's like, well, shit. Um, and look, I think everyone has kind of been there at some point in betting where they started to bet more than they anticipated. Um, I've done it. I know others have done it. It, it does happen. So I'd say number one is like, you have to figure out how much you want to stake and stick to it. I'd say number two is probably start with an amount even lower than that. Um, while you try to figure out if you have any kind of edge. Um, mm. I know a lot of people will be like, oh, like I just created this system or whatever you want to call it. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, like I'm going to go out and bet a couple hundred bucks a game. It's like, well, maybe you probably shouldn't be doing that. And you should probably spend a little more time figuring out um, if you do have any kind of edge. And then I would just say like a very important thing that I think kind of gets overlooked is a lot of people try to be experts in everything. Mm -hmm. I think the best advice to give somebody if they're trying to actually do it to make money is find one thing and try to just specialize in. Um, mm -hmm. whether, whether it's like you mentioned before, whether it's a specific market of props, whether it's something like hockey totals or basketball quarters or something like that, find a find like a smaller derivative market um, that's a little easier to beat than the sports like NFL or MLB or especially like English soccer um, <laughs> and just, and just try to find, find your spot. Um, it's probably the best advice I can give. I know most people who bet are going to show up NFL week one, deposit a bunch into their accounts and just bet every game on the board. Um, it's not the best way to do it. Obviously, again, if you're doing it for fun, like it, it is what it is, go ahead. But if you're actually doing it to try to make money, you should probably focus a little less on, things like NFL games and a little more on things like player props and some game props and some smaller sports and things like that. Definitely. Definitely. I know that was kind of the jumping off point for me was when I said, all right, I'm going to actually start taking football season seriously and watching every single game, making sure to, as soon as the lines are out on Sunday night to beat what the public was doing 
those kind of things where you're like you said looking for that smallest edge the most you possibly can and not everybody is going to be good at everything like we've said more than once the vast majority of people who are betting long term lose money so if you are going to bet responsibly you want to pursue it seriously find what you're good at like matt had just said and like i'm encouraging you don't try and be a jack of all trades there are very few people who are good at betting one thing so betting multiple things is probably even more difficult you're increasing the difficulty of the odds so the next thing i would ask in terms of resources content who do you think makes decent content that's worth people's time this is your opinion obviously you're looking for specific names (laughs) Uh, if if you want to share by all means yeah yeah i mean the first few names that come to mind um Preston Johnson's a great follow on Twitter. Um, he doesn't necessarily give out a lot of like his own picks or anything, but he's kind of very knowledgeable about the space. He's one of the few guys I could name offhand, and someone's definitely going to correct me here, um, that is able to price and win betting multiple top sports year-round. Um, he's very good. I followed him for a while. He was on ESPN for a while. I believe he just moved recently to Yahoo!, and actually is part of an in-game NBA kind of betting telecast. I've actually mm-hmm. never seen it, but I've heard great things about it from others. So I'm going to have to check it out at some point. Um, but he's probably worth a follow. I know he does a lot with NBA. I want to say WNBA and I believe college football. Um, mm. Another one, and he's actually a friend of mine, is, his name's Andy McNeil. Um, he does NHL and he posts some stuff about hockey from time to time. He's actually on uh, VEASAN out in Las Vegas, and he writes some articles for the New York Post kind of talking about gambling and hockey, and he's mm-hmm. really good there. Um, God, I could, I could name a few more. I'm just kind of losing track a little offhand. Um, okay. But yeah, so- it, it, it is very few and far between, but those are kind of two that I would say are definitely kind of worth a follow if you're looking to learn more about gambling. Okay, so the one question that fits into that part is, how do you, what's your bullshit detector like? What are you looking for for someone who is claiming they know what they're talking about and they're, something isn't adding up? How do you, how do you tell someone who is just, you know, who's bullshitting versus someone who actually knows what they're talking about for the general public? I, I talk about this all the time with knowing what's yeah. real and what isn't. Yeah. Um, number one is people who post pics without a price. And okay. I don't remember who it was the other day. It was some, I believe it was some girl on Instagram or TikTok or something. Um, number one is anyone who posts something without a price. So like, oh, bet the Grizzlies money line tonight. Okay, well, is that minus 200? Is that plus 700? Like, I, I have no idea. Um, so anything like that is just so clearly has no idea what they're doing or is willfully oblivious to it. Okay. That's number one. Um Number two is anything that a book is promoting is not going to be good probably 99% of the time. There are very few exceptions, but the people who are getting paid by books to tell you who to bet are probably not going to help you win. Um, In the rare case that they actually do win themselves, it's likely that when they bet and then you hear it and then you go on to bet it yourself, the number is gone. So if someone goes on a video and is like, all right, I'm taking the bucks plus seven tonight. And then you go on and see the bucks plus six. A lot of people will still be like, oh yeah, take this, take it. Meanwhile, it's probably not still a great play. Um, So I'm definitely wary of anyone that is promoted by a book. That said, there are some exceptions to that, Um, but definitely would call bullshit on anybody who ever tries to tell you to bet something without giving a price or a cutoff point. Definitely. As far as resources, do you recommend anything in terms of looking at stuff for the macro level, like tracking certain totals over the course of a season, tracking individual player performance over the course of a season from a gambling perspective? Because off the top of my head, I know there's a website I have bookmarked that has NFL totals for halves, quarters, and individual teams by their record against those over the course of a full season. But in terms of big picture, do you know any off the top of your head that you would recommend? Um, personally, no. I okay. think probably 99.9% of these trends that you hear people talk about on these videos, look, they make for great content. 
I don't think any <laughs> of them are very useful. Um, so you'll see someone go on and be like, oh, this team's covered seven straight against this team, or they've won by five plus in nine of their last 11 games. And it's like, okay, well, what does that have to do with tomorrow? Like, what does mm. that have to do with tonight? It just, trends are a very sexy thing to use in video. It helps, it helps to fill time. It's just not meaningful or relevant or helpful. Um, and that's why you see a lot of people push it. And again, that's why you see sports books promote people who talk about things like that. And you see mm. them talk about things like, oh, wow, this team's won five of their last six and they're underdogs tonight without really getting into why or getting into mm. what they think the actual price should be on the game. Makes, that makes sense, actually. That does make a lot of sense. Even bigger picture. Why do you think football translates so well to a gambling market more so than other sports in the United States? Because I think football being the most popular is definitely tied to the fact it's probably the easiest to bet on in terms of easiest. I'm putting in air quotes, but why do you think football translates so well to gambling? I think it just has to do with how big the audience is, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody growing up played fantasy football. I mean, it's obviously the number one sport for fantasy football, which is essentially gambling, right? So you're Mm. kind of getting into that and everyone's watching football on a Sunday more than really any other sport. Like you can't say that any other sport has the daily viewers of a Sunday NFL day. So it's just, it's very kind of easy to get into. Obviously the fact that it's like, oh, you're betting this team getting four points. All right. Awesome. Like they play 15 times a year. So I want to watch and bet every time 16 times a year, 17, whatever it is now. Um, So like, yeah, like, so I want to watch and bet every single time they play. Football, it does make for, I think, the best experience as a better. That said, mm. it's also why it's very hard to make money betting on football. It is yeah. extremely difficult. Um, but no, football obviously is very tailor-made for gambling. And I think it stems just from people playing fantasy when they were younger and even now. And it's just such a very easy thing to do to have a fantasy team and wake up on a Sunday morning and be like, all right, I want to bet these four games during the day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the advent of Red Zone, I know, helps a lot of people keep eyes on everything. It's one of the reasons a lot of my friends, frankly, got into it is, like you said, they were pretty good at fantasy football. They felt, all right, I know a lot about football. Let me take the next step. We're only like 15 minutes away from New Jersey. So a lot of the time you're making that 15-minute drive to go fire off a handful of bets, come back, be on a couch by 12.45 to get Red Zone going. And like you said, everybody is glued to the couch on a football Sunday to watch nine hours of football, going to Sunday night football, Sunday night football is over. All right. So the lines are out and then there's Monday night football and then you're on Thursday and the week bleeds into itself so well. And because it's only two or three days a week, as opposed to the longer grind of hockey, of basketball, of baseball, where it's five, four games a week, a little bit less taxing. Big picture wise, why, why do you think that we think of baseball and hockey as money line sports as opposed to playing the one and a half. Yeah, and I actually think that's a mistake that a lot of newer betters make is that they just take everything um, they see. Oh, why would I want to pay minus one sixty when I could have only lay one and a half and get plus one fifty or whatever it is? And mm-hmm. I certainly made that mistake when I was first betting out. I was like, yeah, like they're they're going to win by two or more like all the time. And obviously that never happened. Um, but no, it's just. I don't know. It's so much more, I think, appealing for casual bettors to see that plus price and go, yeah, I want to bet this. That said, I think the reason you see it a little more popular in hockey and baseball to bet money lines as opposed to something like football or basketball is because those money lines become a larger price. And people don't generally love betting or like laying price on a lot of favorites. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of times in hockey, they'll be like, yeah, it's only minus 120. Like, oh, that's fine. Where in football, if you're waking up and you're going to bet the Chiefs, no one really wants to lay minus 500 or something to bet the Chiefs to win the game. Um, So you're more likely to either kind of put them into a parlay, which you see a lot of the time, or they'll just go ahead and lay the points. Um, But no, I mean, my recommendation is definitely bet money lines for hockey and baseball as opposed to the spreads, Um, especially because a lot of times at these books, the the house edge will be less. So it's a little easier to beat. Um, But no, I think the big mistake that a lot of casual bettors make for hockey and baseball specifically is that they'll just go ahead and lay the puck line or lay the run line. Um, 
when it's if you don't think that the money line's a good bet, the puck line or the run line are legitimately just correlated to whatever that's priced at. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That was definitely a mistake I made too when I first started betting hockey was just assuming, all right, the team's better. They'll get the empty net goal at the end. It's not a problem. I'm I'm not sweating two goals. And then once you sweat out a couple of those empty net situations, you realize, all right, yeah, this isn't for me. This isn't working wholesale. Exactly. And one of my first bets that I actually remember, um, it would have been in the fall, or sorry, the spring of 2014 when the Rangers were actually in the playoffs is when they played that first game against the Flyers, I was like, yeah, the Rangers are going to beat the Flyers by two, of course. And they got up like two nothing or whatever it was. And then the Flyers tied it. And then they, we scored like three power play goals or something like in the first half of the third period. I was like, oh yeah, this is so easy. Like I'm just going to take the team minus one and a half in every game. And needless to say that that doesn't work, but no, it's definitely a mistake that I think a lot of people make when they're first getting into it. So two more things before I get you out of here. In terms of basketball, I know basketball is difficult more this year more so than ever because so many guys are just missing games and the rosters are so inconsistent. And this bleeds into the larger of trying to look for that edge and knowing when you don't when there isn't the possibility of having an edge. Like a lot of people think that when you see you get the push notification from a Woj, a Sham, the Schefter, okay, immediately that 10 second window before, okay, maybe I can beat the book. You can't beat the book anymore. The internet has no. made it to the, the information is it's impossible to beat the book online like that. Yeah, those, those fly instantly. I mean, before anybody like Schefter or Woj is generally tweeting that kind of stuff out, like you already have like team beat reporters that are tweeting it out. Or maybe mm-hmm. the guy was questionable to begin with and the line was already kind of accounting for it. Um, or oftentimes the player will be out and the line would have already accounted for it. Um, so it's very tough to beat. And, and I mean, those are a matter of seconds most of the time and anything, especially once you get into like the NBA and a single NBA game, like if Kevin Durant is like announced out, you are not going to be able to go over to a book and bet whoever the nets are playing against and get a good number on it. Like that number is going to be, I already have moved. Um, and, and it's just, if you're following injuries in a main sport like that, it's next to impossible to get down. Um, there are definitely exceptions to it. First one that comes to mind is um, this last fall when Trevor Lawrence actually had COVID. There was oh, yeah. a lot of info going around like hours to maybe even a day before that info kind of came out. So you do see those things kind of come out from time to time um, before the markets kind of pick up on it. But generally speaking, like it is very quick to hear and very quick to react. What would you say to someone who's very skeptical of why a line moves X number of points over the course of a week during a football season? Because I know I get into this argument with my friends all the time where uh, someone gets announced out or a team goes, has a really bad performance in a primetime game and the line just doesn't make sense and the public adjusts for it. And I constantly am telling them the line moved to a reason you're not getting the best possible value. Once the line moves, you kind of miss the boat. Yeah, I I would say that line move lines move from probably one percent of people who bet. Um, okay. The if you're thinking about it like a pyramid, and the bottom is like just about every better, the very top of that are the only people who are moving lines. It, it is people who are betting a lot of money. It is people that books know are extremely sharp. It are um, it's different groups of syndicates who are kind of betting it in and just shaping it into place. Lines move for a reason, and especially when you get into things like NFL and the NBA, lines just aren't wrong. Um, yeah, you can find you can find very rare instances in which case something is still off in certain games. Um, lines in those sports are barely ever wrong, um, because what's happening is you're just getting different sides betting them back and forth all day, and I think a big misconception is like, oh, the book's rooting for this side, like the book's rooting for that side, the book. Books don't care. Like books could not care less who wins a specific game. The phrase that I love hearing all the time is Vegas knows or Vegas did this or Vegas did that. First of all, Vegas doesn't control shit, right? <laughs> they, they hang numbers and they collect the, the four or 5%, whatever their margin is on those games. Like they do not have a rooting interest in these games. And I always love like when you, 
see like that in some chatter it's like they they don't care like all they do is just write they write the bets and they move on um but no i mean lines are shaped into place and i think that's the other thing i'd say to if someone's kind of starting to get into betting is like try to bet as long before the game as possible and see if the line moves your way so like if you're sitting in front of a computer screen betting NFL week six, right at the end of week five or right before week five is done. And you bet a team minus three and two days later without any like big info coming out, they're minus six. Well, you clearly did something right. Meanwhile, if you're laying minus three and in two days, it's a pick. I mean, maybe it's time to try to figure out what you did wrong. Um, but no, I, I definitely think like trying to bet early makes it a little better. Um, mm. But yeah, like, Vegas doesn't care. Like these sports books don't really care who wins these games. Like they know over the long haul, their house edge is going to kick into place and they'll be perfectly fine. Thank you so much for coming on, Matt. I know I messaged you kind of out of the blue on Saturday night, but I realized like, yeah, this is an important topic. I kind of need someone to pick their brain about and you came to mind. So thank you for coming on. Where can the people find you making fun of people promoting bad content on Twitter? Oh God. Um, so. <laughs> can follow me at their own risk at mlber9 on twitter um all i pretty much do is either tweet about the rangers tweet about why the jets front office are complete idiots and tweet about gambling but if you like those things and the occasional dog picture you can go ahead and follow me you're a good follow i i mean i'm also like your target audience of people who are actively betting most nights and find it amusing to see you making fun of people being stupid in the space because there's no shortage of people making themselves look dumb very, very consistently. My personal favorite is Cowherd. My personal favorite is Cowherd. Yeah, I mean, guys like that just make it too easy. Guys like Darren Rovell. And I mean, there's just so many other names that I'd be here all day just trying to list all these names. But there are people that just make it too easy with the way they do different things. Thank you so much for coming on, Matt. I'm not sure who the guest is going to be tomorrow. It depends on availability. So, I will talk to you guys tomorrow. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I will see you guys then. Bye.